Guys, good morning. Good to see you today. How you doing? All right? Good to see you. Thank you for coming. Look, we've been talking about Jesus dying on the cross. It is central to Christianity. And last fall, we started looking at this and all of the historic reasons that surround why Jesus died. But what we started last week was kind of chapter two of this, this why journey. And what we're looking at today in these next weeks is the, well, God's motivations. Why, why, why did God orchestrate the scene behind it all? Why did God choose to send his son and what did he hope it would accomplish. And last week, we opened the door on this by talking about God's love. This idea that God has this, this, this overwhelming love, this such abundant love for his creation that he would go to such lengths that he would even send his son to die for it. Today, we're changing tax and we're looking at another motivation of God, another reason why he sent Jesus, and it's one that I think is equally, if not more important, and it's this, that God is faithful. Let me unpack that for you today. Now, central to the Christian ethic is this idea of faithfulness, and what it means is this, that you tell the truth, and when you give you word, you keep it. I like how Jesus puts it. He says this. He's got his disciples gathered around him, and, and the crowds are following him. He begins to teach them all kinds of things, and he says this. You have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oaths, but keep the oaths you made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. Do not swear by heaven because it's God's throne or by earth because it's his footstool. Do not swear by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head. You can't even make one hair turn white or black. I know what you're thinking. Maybe my kids can, but you can't. Simply let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Anything beyond this, he says, comes from the evil one. What is he getting at here when he says swear? Guys, he's not talking about four-letter words. What he is talking about is making promises. Do not make promises, Jesus says. Does he say that so we can never be pinned, so we can never be held down, so we always got a slippery way out? No, his motivation is something very different instead. Do not make promises because promises presuppose something. Promises presuppose that your word is not enough. That your word by itself is not enough. There's what I say, but promises are what I mean. There's what I say, but promises are what you can count on me for. No, Jesus says, there, there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. Let your yes mean yes. Your no mean no, so that promises become completely irrelevant. Anything beyond this, he says, comes from the evil one. 
This idea of keeping your word and telling the truth is central to the Christian ethic because it's central to the character of God. Jesus says this because this is what God is like. This is what he's about. This is what motivates him. And as Christians, our character is meant to be a reflection of his, which is so surprising to me. Which, I guess, better put, makes it so surprising to me because in my experience, I don't know about yours, but in mine, most people... Christian or not, don't really seem all that concerned with keeping their word. We sign things indiscriminately. We click accept without a moment's thought to what we're agreeing to. We tell people what they want to hear because we're afraid to say no or we're afraid to hurt feelings or because we want to get them off our back, or maybe just because we get caught up in the moment. We come to the people we love or fall in love with and tell them all kinds of romantic things in order to woo them, whether those things are true or not. And then we stand on platforms and at altars and say things like, till death do us part and trade up as soon as someone better comes along, or trade in as soon as that promise gets too hard. We just had a, a new member class here last weekend, and it, I love these. We do these a few times a year, and, and, and we get to go through this thing we call the member covenant together, where, where we describe what it means to be a member here at Fellowship of Faith, and what I always love is, is kind of the joy that people bring to it initially, going, I love this, I want this, I'll agree to this, and I always wonder after the fact, do most members at Fellowship of Faith even remember signing it to begin with? And how many other things in life do we do this with? And think about it, I'm only talking about things that we would call promises, that we would call contracts, that we would call swearing or oaths. And my experience is even in that arena, for many of us, our word means very little. I mean, how much more? For the casual yeses and nos, and I'll be there and I'll do it, and you can count on me insinuations we spew dozens and dozens of times every single day. Now, in my experience, many of us aren't all that concerned with keeping our word at all. We keep it when it's expedient. We keep it when it suits us and fits our schedule and fits our lives and jettison it the moment it costs us, the moment it gets too difficult, which makes it really hard to understand why Jesus would come to die. 
To me, all of this makes it so hard to understand why God would send his son to begin with. Now, the Bible unfolds this story of a giant rescue operation that God is enacting in this world for his creation. It echoes way back to the beginning when God made this place, if you know what I mean. He made it and delighted it and is the maker and creator of it. He invested himself in it, put a claim on it, but also gave a sense of personal responsibility to it, claiming it as something special, calling it something good. It isn't a stretch, I think, for me to tell you that what we live in here today is a far cry from what God had made in the beginning. Things have gone haywire. And the world and life and and reality as we know it is not what it's supposed to be. I don't need a a Judd Nelson fist fist pump, but would you agree? But God is faithful. He's faithful to the things he has made more than. He's faithful to the word he has given to come and redeem and restore this place. Here's how one passage will put it. The same passage I showed you last week. Moses is on the mountain. He's meeting with God. God shows up face to face. And the heavens cry out, The Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and you see it, faithfulness. Isn't it true we get so hung up on the love of God, the compassion of God, the graciousness of God, that faithfulness kind of takes a back seat? But for Israel, God's faithfulness was just as important, arguably more important, than his love. Because what it meant is that God could be depended on. We break our word. We prove ourselves daily to be faithless. But God isn't like that. God keeps his word. He follows through on his yeses. He follows through on his noes. And he keeps it even when it costs him. Even at the point of self-sacrifice, he keeps it even when it is not expedient, even when it causes a mess, even when there are ramifications that he doesn't like. What it means to say that God is faithful is that when he says something, it's true and he'll keep it and you can count on it. And what that means for us is that we can rely on him. And the Bible says this is why God sent his son. Because he's faithful. He's faithful to this creation that he's made, and more so he is faithful to the word he has given to redeem and restore. Even at the cost to himself. Even at the cost of his very own. God is someone who keeps his word. And that's the question I want to ask you today. 
Would you keep your word even if it cost you your life? Would you keep your word even if it cost you your child? God would, and God did. And this is why God sent his son to die. It's not because he wanted to. It's not because this was some, eh, no big deal, whatever. It's not because it was some joy for him. It was because he told us something. He implied something to this world, and God always, always follows through. Paul, this early follower of Jesus, he'll put it this way. He'll write, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not, I'm going to say, forked tongue, telling you what you want to hear. Yes, hear and no there. No, no, no. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Central to the Christian ethic is faithfulness because central to the nature of God is faithfulness. And God sent his son to die on a cross to be the means and the way and the answer, the great yes to every promise he made and the pathway of hope to every promise yet to be answered. And the Hebrews had a word for this, a word of response, a, a way that they would kind of answer back to this, this mind-numbing, mind-blowing idea. It's Hebrew. Let me teach it to you today. They would say this, amen. Amen, emuna, amen. It means Faithfulness. Faithful. To shout amen for them was a way of saying, you've shown yourself faithful. I will believe you. You've shown yourself faithful. I'm counting on you. Amen was a way of saying, you have promised to be faithful. I'm betting the bank on you that you are a God who will not break his words. Amen was the great war, quad, great war cry of people who dared to believe that God tells the truth and when God speaks, he always keeps his word. And so Paul will go on to say, and so through him, through Jesus, the ultimate, the ultimate answer to every promise and the ultimate point of faithfulness, the amen, the war cry, the dare to believe and rely is spoken by us to the glory of God. And this is why God sent his son at astounding cost to himself.
to die. And if he would do that, how much more, the Bible will say, how much more can we then rely on everything else he has said? No matter what we're up against, no matter what we face, and no matter what we fear, how much more can you dare to risk trusting that he will follow through? That's central to what he's about. You know, today we're going to commune. And as we prepare for this, I'm going to invite the band back forward. But I want to show you a passage, and it's one that we've been memorizing together. And it starts by saying this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I think about this sometimes, and let me tell you the way. Yeah, band, I met it. You can come forward. Come on. <laughs> oh, well, okay then. We're good. Thank you. Do you ever kind of fall into the trap of thinking that God just delights in forgiving you? Let me ask you, when people hurt you, offend you, or do things that are cruel to the ones you love, do you just... Oh, I love to forgive. Sometimes I think we get so fixated on this image of God as one to who sin doesn't hurt him, that he just forgives out of the goodness of his heart and miss it all along. Where'd my verse go? Put it up there. Thanks. No, why does he forgive? Because he told you he would. And when God says something, he follows through. How many times might God forgive even though he is madder than... How many times does God forgive even though it's the thousandth time you've... How many times does God forgive even when he doesn't want to? But he made you a promise. Or better, he gave... His word, he spoke. I will redeem and restore all who come to me. All who turn to me. All who repent is the Bible word. And my son is the living dead proof. So, if you would, let's rise. as we uh, get ready to, to come to this meal today and let's, let's confess, let's, let's repent, let's ask God to honor his word, to forgive. Pray this with me if you would. Merciful God, we do not claim to be without sin. We will not deceive ourselves. Let your truth be in us. We confess our sins. You are faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because God said it, I can tell you this with all assurance and confidence 
today, no matter what it is that you confess to him, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven in him. Amen.